As you can tell, we're going to be talking about Samson this morning, and we've been in this series called You've Got to Be Kidding Me, and it's been this amazing look at this list of characters whose stories are recorded for us, and we have the opportunity to learn invaluable things from their lives. Before we get started, it's okay, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, I thank you for that never-ending love, and I pray this morning that that would be the focus, that you would be the hero, and that you would speak specifically to each of us the words that you have for us. We love you, Father, in your name. You may already know this, but we live in a culture where we are obsessed with warning systems and alarms, and this is a good thing. It keeps us safe. It saves lives every year, but it's never more evident than when you travel to a place that is not quite so obsessed with safety and alarms. And as Matt mentioned, I got to be part of that team this week that went to Haiti. And, you know, you have these moments where you go to put on your seatbelt and you realize there isn't a seatbelt there. And you, you see that an entire society can function without traffic lights and stop signs. And you realize how very delicate we are that just to go outside requires like pounds of sunscreen and bug spray. And then you have this like dilemma because I don't want mosquito-borne illnesses, but the can is telling me about DEET and what's going to happen to me if I put this on my skin. And so you realize that we need all these warning systems and these safety alarms to make it through our lives. And they are a good thing. They save us from fires They keep us from traffic accidents. We have things like Amber Alerts, Save Children's Lives. But here's a question. What about a warning system for just my everyday life, for the choices I'm going to make, for the decisions I need to find answers to? And this is where we find the story of Samson. The story of Samson adds something to this conversation. But before we begin, I need to give you a warning about the story Samson's life is not something you want to read to your kids before bed, especially if they like animals. You know, this isn't a story that you read and you end with a smile on your face and you tie a bow around it. It's more like a graphic, gory action film. Samson's story is sometimes hard to read and we almost want to look away from it. So understanding that, why are we talking about Samson this morning? And it's because of this. We believe that every story in the Bible reveals to something about the character of God and that people are people throughout all of history, that we have the same sin, we struggle with the same wants and desires, and that we're just wrapped in these different cultural contexts and these different communities. But the scripture has something important to say. And this morning... I think the story of Samson could be a game changer for some of us sitting in the room. To understand his great fall, we have to understand the beginning of his story. And like the rest of his story, it begins in this grand, dramatic fashion. So it starts with an angel visiting this woman who had not been able to have children. And then he comes back and he visits with she and her husband. And he gives them some very specific instructions that I am certain you have not read on any of the parenting blogs you may follow. So the angel comes and he says this to them. You will become pregnant. You will have a son 
whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Their son is going to follow the traditional Jewish customs and laws, but on top of that, he's a Nazarite. He is set apart from birth. And there's some really specific things we have to know about Nazarites. One, they were not to have anything from the vine. No grapes, no wine, no raisins. They were not to touch anything that was dead, human or animal. Seems like a pretty easy one to keep. They were to never cut their hair. So God sets up Samson as this great leader for the story, whose even appearance and lifestyle are supposed to be symbolic of the difference that Israel is supposed to have from the people around them. He's supposed to lead the way in what it looks like to know God in a deep and intimate way. So we're off to a great start. The Bible tells us that the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. Now this leader who's supposed to free his people is going to need something special. And what better superpower to have than superhuman strength? Like Marvel comic book, superhuman strength. And so the Bible skips ahead, and now we jump into the story, and Samson's an adult. And right off the bat, there's something weird. Because the setup that we got is not matching the storyline. And here's where the storyline starts. He said that Samson went down to Timnah. Now, this idea of going down to Timnah, it wasn't just a geographical look. It was actually hinting at a moral decision that Samson was making. He saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned to his father and mother, he said, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Whoa, wait a minute. Samson's not supposed to be hanging out in a Philistine village picking up ladies. He's supposed to be leading a revolution. And there is something very disrespectful about his tone with his parents. You know, right away, Samson begins this pattern in his life of compromise over commitment. And Samson's parents act as the very first alarm system in his life. Because they remind him that there are clear guidelines God set up for them and they are not supposed to marry Philistine women. But their disapproval and their reminder of these guidelines has no impact on Samson's decision. Over and over, we find him repeating this same pattern. He gets an alarm, he gets a warning, and he just runs on ahead, choosing compromise over commitment. Now, his parents' disapproval must have melted away because Samson goes and we find him heading back down to Timnah, this time with his parents. But he stops and he makes this detour through a vineyard. And in this vineyard, God sends a very dramatic warning sign to Samson. A young lion jumps out and attacks him. And Samson does what any of us would do. 
The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Obviously. This would have been a great moment for Samson to say, wow, that seemed almost like a suggestion, like a word from God that I should not be here. But Samson did not have that revelation because we find him going right back along that same detour, right back to the exact spot where he killed the lion. And here he finds the carcass of the lion. And Samson, the Bible says that he looks. He looks at the carcass of the lion. And again, it's this figurative language where he turns and looks. And it's not just a sideways glance. He looks down and he realizes he's got a choice on the table. And once again, it's compromise or commitment. And he goes with compromise. You could say this was kind of like a donut with a surprise cream filling. Because inside the carcass of the lion, bees have now built a honeycomb. And Samson reaches down and scoops out some honey and begins to eat it. And then he takes some to his parents, because obviously they have a really troubled relationship. And he doesn't tell them where the honey came from. Compromise has become easier and easier for Samson, and it's turned into just a general bold violation of God's covenant with him. Already, Samson is making this series of decisions that are laying this foundation in his life that will lead to ruin and to destruction. Now, he looks at his decisions. So, so I'm going to marry a Philistine woman. So what? You know, I ate some honey out of a dead animal. Well, so what? And here's the thing that we have to realize because we can have these same so what moments. Samson ignores the reality that he's getting exactly what he's pursuing without considering what the consequences will be. Samson thinks it's about just getting what he wants. But what he's missed is he doesn't realize that he's missing out on who he was created to be. It wasn't about the grapes or the lion or cutting his hair. It was about a heart condition. And we can all understand making compromise. Whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, you know what it means to make a moral choice. And if you are a follower of Jesus, we know what it means to compromise on who it is God's called us to be. We can understand these same, these same things that it takes a consistent pattern of compromise before you steal something at work or you decide to cheat on the test. There were small steps that led you to the place where you decide whether or not to make good on the vows that you made to your spouse. We understand that these things don't just happen in a moment. We had to make some steps to get there. You know, we're all wired differently, and God calls us to different things. But compromise is always about choosing a deal to step away from God's good plan for us. And here's kind of a safe example of that. And I want you to imagine, hypothetically, that you have a friend who's making a dangerous, even illegal decision in her life. She has a taillight that's out. And she lives in an amazing community, and she drives the same path every day, pick up kids from school, go to church on Sunday, 
And because there are people in her life who love her, they begin texting her, hey, saw you at the stop sign, got a taillight out. And that happens a couple times, a week, four months. And she doesn't seem to find time to get the taillight fixed. You know, what kind of person is this? This is dangerous, not just for her, but for the cars around her. There's a good reason you have brake lights. It keeps everybody on the road safe. And you know, if you don't have them, you can't expect the good things and the protection that they're going to bring you. And once your friends have told you what's going on, you know, their responsibility is over. And now it's on you. The good news in this situation is that this hypothetical person, while they were in Haiti, their husband fixed their taillight for her. So if there's any police in the room, that person is driving legally now. You know, back down there in Timna, Samson's participating in this customary feast. It's a seven-day feast for the young men before the wedding. And Samson comes up with this brilliant idea to humiliate the 30 Philistine men who are part of his wedding party. And so he makes up this riddle that has to do with the lion and the honey he found. And he tells them they have seven days to solve the riddle. And the bet on the table is 30 new Gucci suits. The Bible says new clothes, but I think Gucci suits works too. By day three, the Philistines cannot figure out the answer to this riddle, and they are furious. So they go to his soon-to-be bride, and they say, listen, you're going to get us the answer to this riddle, or we're burning down your father's household with all of you inside. And that is a dramatic threat. So she goes, and she figures out the riddle, and she gives them the answer. And on day seven, just as Samson is about to claim his Gucci suits, they bust out with the answer, and he is furious. This begins this feud, this personal feud between Samson and the Philistines. His personal battle becomes about rage and needing to save face. Some more bad things happen, and Samson decides that his next step is complete destruction for the economy of the Philistine people in these villages. And so, first step, he catches 300 foxes. I don't know how you do that, but he did. He caught 300 foxes. He ties their tails together in pairs with a lit torch in the middle, and he sets them out. He sets them free. And they run through the standing grain and the harvested grain, through the olive groves and the vineyards. And one night has produced drastic destruction. And what follows that is a swift and brutal consequence from the Philistines. They go and they do kill his would-be wife, and her family. He goes on this killing spree, and then now we find him sitting in a dark cave. And you would think that a dark, quiet cave would be a great place for a moment of enlightenment. Some of you know what it means to hit rock bottom. And this morning, some of you may get some warnings that prevent you from knowing the pain of sitting in that kind of cave. But instead of enlightenment, Samson just doesn't seem to get it. And looking at his life from my perspective, I don't see anything that warrants one more warning from God. There's nothing Samson has done that deserves another chance. But I'm really grateful God isn't like me. 
And so God sends one more dramatic warning to Samson in the form of 3,000 of his own people, 3,000 men standing right outside his cave. And they have not come to ask from wise wisdom for a decision from their great leader. They've actually showed up because they want to take Samson captive, turn him over to the Philistines to save their own skin. These 3,000 men should have been fighting along Samson for the redemption of their people. They should have stood up to the Philistines and say, you're not taking our leader. But they weren't. They're there to turn on him. And I don't think Samson understood something about alarms in his life because sometimes it's something I don't get, and maybe you can understand that, that these alarms weren't about keeping him from something. These were alarms were about God's grace, God's love for him. Because he doesn't want to just keep us alive, he also wants to protect us from the scars and the pain of near-death experiences. God doesn't want us to miss out on the redemptive plan he has for us. He doesn't want us to choose compromise over commitment because he has something greater for us. God set Samson up as the leader who could have been a legend. The man who could have fought these dramatic battles and won something great for his people. The man who would have set the example or for what it is to know God deeply. He had a purpose for Samson's life. The men hand him over to the Philistines, and Samson stands alone and kills 1,000 Philistines by himself with just the jawbone of a donkey. That's pretty incredible. That's quite a feat. But the sad thing is that it wasn't a victory for his people. It was just a personal vendetta in the moment. And promptly after defeating a thousand Philistines, Samson, we find his first prayer to God. It says, because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, you have given your servant great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? His prayer reveals something crucial for us to understand about Samson's heart and ours. When Samson hits that wall, he knows that God is the only way out. God's the only one who can save him in that moment. But that's all he wants from God. And here could be the alarm bell for you and I. God picks Samson. He empowers Samson. He desires a relationship with Samson. But Samson sees God as this just one-way valve. There's not a reciprocal relationship there. Samson leaves behind this huge deal on the table, and that was intimacy with God. This wasn't just a cultural vow. It's a commitment between he and God. God flows through him. He moves in him. And then eventually, God moves around him. Samson's chasing everything but God. But God's been showing up in his life. And every warning, his plan is greater than just Samson's strength. We understand what it means to ignore and to silence alarms. 
That moment when we realize we're walking just a little too close to the edge. And see, ignoring those alarms reveals that we've got this desire for something or this fear of something that's greater than our belief that God has a good plan for our lives. Samson's life was really all about immediate gratification. And so his plan for love was this. I see her, I like her, I get her. But Samson meets someone who is his match, who outplays the player. He meets someone who isn't the only one whose code of ethics is getting what she wants. For her, it wasn't about sex or power. It was about money. Samson's living in this delusion that he can do whatever he wants and still expect loyalty and honor. But the problem is, this woman, whose name is Delilah, she doesn't understand or care anything about the God who gave Samson his strength. She doesn't care that Samson's a judge, that he's a ruler of his people. She got a deal. A lot of money. Philistine leaders have promised her this reward if she will figure out the secret of Samson's strength. More than anything, they want Samson. And so she begins to ask him and pester him. And you also need to know that Samson was apparently the heaviest sleeper of all time. Or he may have gotten very comfortable with the fermented grape juice. But three times, he gives her an answer that's a lie. She waits till he falls asleep, and so she tries whatever it says he had said, tying him with fresh bowstrings or new ropes or weaving his hair in a loom. And every time he wakes up, and he's just as strong, and he laughs at her. And she becomes more and more frustrated, and then she begs and she begs, and finally Samson breaks. He gives up the answer. He lets her in on the covenant that he has with God. It's his last step in walking away. Have you ever wanted to be the alarm system for someone else? It's easy to watch their lives. And we want to say in that moment, don't do it, Samson. She's evil. But he does. It says, so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me. I would become as weak as any other man. Delilah tells the Philistine rulers, and they come and they hide. And while he sleeps, she has someone shave his head. And when he wakes up, we see something that's in Samson's mind and his heart that may surprise us. Samson doesn't realize what's happened. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He was actually surprised. He had gotten so numb to the warnings, to the alarms, to the consequences of compromise, that he didn't even notice that God had left. And the story gets gory. After this, the Philistines capture him. Remember, God had told them to stay away from Philistine women. They capture him, they seize him, they gouge out his eyes, and they took him to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles and setting him to grind grain. 
He couldn't see that God's plan for his life was grace, saving him from pain. He couldn't see that he was missing the greatest adventure he could have imagined. And now he looks around, and somehow it is still all about him. This man, who is no longer a superhuman, his strength is gone, he's blind. He's been walking all over vineyards and touching animals, and then now his, his hair is gone. This man, who was once the hope of Israel, is now their humiliation. He had made the final step in rejecting God. But here's something that is absolutely astonishing to me, that we can't miss, and sometimes has been overlooked in this story, and it's this. It's found in this small little verse. Here's what it says. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. It's this line of brilliant foreshadowing, and the author doesn't include it because he thinks that readers may not know that hair can grow back, He includes it because he's letting you know that God is staging a comeback in Samson's life. Now, Samson's pride is about to suffer the greatest blow that it has ever known because he had built his identity on things that could be taken away. The judge over Israel has been summoned to a party, except he is the entertainment. He once represented this threat to the Philistine people, and now he represents their domination. He is now a symbol of the Israelites being under their tyranny. This massive party for thousands of the most important Philistines is actually a worship service to their God. And Samson is set up as the example of their God's greatness. And watching Samson, the Nazarite, fall so fast and so hard makes me grateful for something, that he is not the hero of this story. That from beginning to end, the spotlight has always been on God. God is the hero of Samson's story. And just like we often do, Samson realizes things are totally messed up. And he needs God's help. But he decides to keep inviting God into his plan instead of asking God what God's plan is for his life. Because Samson discounts the fact that God could possibly stage a comeback for him. Samson prays the second recorded prayer in his life that we have. But he never acknowledges his failures. He never thanks God for the grace and the mercy that he's shown him. He never repents for the kind of leader he has been to his people. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. Let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Let me die with the Philistines. Samson's best plan is one final act of cunning revenge. God gives Samson the strength he asks for. And I'm sure you've seen pictures and cartoon drawings of Samson pushing the pillars. And the building comes crashing down and thousands of Philistines die that day. 
And it's easy to think Samson's crazy, to look at his mistakes and wonder what he was thinking. But Samson's character weaknesses have been or could be ours. Samson has this aversion to alarm systems. And so do we. We don't naturally welcome something that jars us into making choices that are counterintuitive to our desire for immediate gratification. I want to ignore voices that call out sin in my life. I don't want to think about that warning that the choices I'm making are going to lead to severe consequences. And alarms are annoying in my life as long as I can't see them as mercy from a good God who loves me. You know, I've got my own list of royal screw-ups, of times that I heard alarms and I just kept walking. And if it wasn't for God's grace over and over, my life would look drastically different. You may be starting down your own road to Timnah and have begun to compromise, or you may be full-out running And compromise after compromise after compromise is taking you quickly towards that city. And this morning, I want to say to you, please stop. There are warnings. There are alarms going off all around you. And that good grace of God is calling you back away from hitting rock bottom. If you still hear alarms in your life, If people you love are still honest with you, see it as God's grace for you. Don't miss the redemptive plan God has for you. There's a spot for you in the kingdom that is uniquely created to fit the gifts and the calling God's placed on your life. That compromise that helps us miss commitment causes us to miss the redemptive plan we're supposed to be a part of. I'm guessing you've never struggled with the guilt of eating a raisin, although I think they're pretty gross. Maybe it's that you can't shake the reality that your critical spirit is leading to distance between you and the people you love because they can never meet your expectations. Maybe a pattern of gossip in your life is causing people to stop inviting you into their world any longer. Maybe your go-to anger is hurting the people who love you the most. Maybe we've set up this pattern of using people for our own gain, and what's ahead is finding ourselves very alone. Maybe there's brokenness in the area of sexuality, and just up ahead, we're going to find ourselves sitting in a heap of mess. Maybe you identify more with the very end of Samson's life. Compromise got comfortable, and we can't imagine a way out. And the beautiful thing is that we don't have to. That God of comeback stories has one already planned for you. And if you read scripture from beginning to end, it's just full of people who had second chances and third chances and who God rewrote their story to make it part of his redemptive plan. 
And you're sitting in a room full of people who have incredible comeback stories. I believe we can really know Jesus. And there's this safety net in our relationship with him. He brings people into our lives who love us and speak truth to us. We look in scripture and we find words that confront the decisions that we're making. He's showing us grace, the difference between what's right and wrong in our lives. If you don't hear alarms anymore, ask God to send you some. Look for people who will be honest with you. Ask God to give you the courage and strength to change the things that he begins to call out in you. If we jump way ahead, way down the road to the New Testament, there is something that it just stuns me. I can't understand this kind of grace because Samson shows up again in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11 His name gets mentioned in a list of people who had faith. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. Why would God salvage this man's reputation? And I don't think it was about rewriting Samson's history because his story is still there for us to read. The consequences were still a part of his life. I think Hebrews is more about giving us a second look at God's character. That after it all, God still found something good. God still gave him a second mention. God's unfathomable grace shines so bright in the story of Samson. His story shows us the consequences of compromise, but it also holds out this promise of a good God. And our stories aren't finished. They're still being written. And alarm bells can change the course of our lives forever. Alarm bells in that grace goes beyond just a momentary forgiveness. They continue on with us keeping us close to the heart of God, close to the plan he has for us. So here's my question for you this morning. What are the alarm bells that are going off for you? You have the exact same choice. We have the exact same choice Samson did. It's commitment or compromise. And God holds out the same good grace to us in the form of warnings and alarms that will come our way. He gives us the opportunity to course correct in our own lives and as a community, to be a place where we can speak truth, to be a place where we look at alarms and we change who we are, community that actively listens for the voice of God. God's promised to refine us and to shape us to look more and more like Jesus if we're willing to act and to hear his voice. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, I thank you so much that you love us enough to continue to speak to us. And I pray, God, that your voice would be so loud this morning in our hearts and our minds and that we would see your warnings as love, the kind of love that keeps us on track, 
that allows us to see the incredible good plans you have for us, for our families, for our community. Father, soften our hearts to see you and hear you and experience you in a way we never have before. We say that we love you, Jesus. Amen.